Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly biography show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into the commonalities of successful people and the ups and downs of risk-taking. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Nate Coulter. Everybody knows that name. But can you put a face or point a finger? at who Mr. Nate Coulter is or what he does. The reason for the quandary is because he's done everything and been everywhere, from academia to politics. This educated and experienced lawyer is now the face of Cal's Central Arkansas Library System. After graduating from Harvard Law in 1985, Nate clerked for a judge, became assistant legal counsel for Governor Bill Clinton, and maintained a long trial lawyer career. First in his own private practice and later partnering with Wright Lindsay Jennings firm and last Wilson Ingstrom Corum and Coulter. In 1993, Nate was the Democratic nominee for Lieutenant Governor of Arkansas. We'll find out about that. Since 2016, Mr. Coulter has been the Executive Director for CALS, Central Arkansas Library System, the public library system that serves Perry and Pulaski counties. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the table the community-minded, smart, and genuine Mr. Nate Coulter. Thank you so much, Carrie. Thank you, Gray, for letting us uh, do this on your hour here, yeah, probably your, sure. your nickel. Sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is kind of a scary thought, though, that if I'm the face of that wonderful library that's been there a long time and will be there long after I'm gone, I hope it has other faces. How long has it been there? 1910, in the original Carnegie iteration that was downtown, you know, this uh, great champion of libraries, uh, Andrew Carnegie, donated uh, millions and millions of dollars in the early part of the 20th century to create libraries everywhere. And we were one of the fortunate communities in Little Rock to get one of those libraries. And he built libraries everywhere. And that was uh, that library was on uh, Louisiana, I believe. And then it was replaced. Unfortunately, the building was torn down. And uh, the replacement library is there on the corner of Louisiana and 8th Street, I think it is. And that was the library until about 1996 when it relocated to the Phones Brothers, old Phones Brothers Warehouse where it's been since then. And great, that was a great repurposing of that building. Yeah, now. and you know, at the time, uh, we forget, uh, there really wasn't a river market area down there at that point. They were starting the river market pavilion, I think, opened about the same time. But the library had been committed to coming there for two or three years after the voters had authorized the bond issue that paid for building that or restoring that old building so the library's had a long history and uh, it's a great institution that's nice i like the way it says all the names of the philosophers and carnegie across the top of it yeah they did a great job doing that in 1985 you went to harvard law that is not cheap they don't give scholarships well somebody asked me excuse me just this week asked me uh, did I have a big student debt? I said, no, I had a great father who worked seven days a week in his uh, three small town furniture stores, selling appliances and carpet and TVs and the like. And he worked, uh, I think he realized later in his life, he worked too much that he didn't spend enough time with his three sons. He regretted, like a lot of us do, parents do when we get oh. older. But he did uh, educate all of us in a great way, and he was devoted to education. Both of my parents were really, uh, uh, by a lot of Arkansas standards, very fortunate to have college educations. They graduated from university in the mid-1950s, got married that year. Both of your parents. And But for the four or so years that my dad spent in the U.S. Navy as a helicopter squadron officer, they really lived all their lives in Arkansas. So what did you say your dad did? He was a helicopter. He wasn't a pilot. He was a he squadron He was a squadron leader. officer, yeah, but he was not the pilot. And, you know, and as far as I can remember, I don't think he ever got in an airplane after I was about three or four years old. I don't know what he learned in helicopters, but it kept him from flying. He didn't like to fly. But he he didn't, had, like to fly. didn't like to fly. He's after. in the business for years, and he doesn't like to fly. Well, I guess, you know, maybe helicopters have a smaller margin of error. Yeah, and if you, you see just a helicopter, drop out yeah, of the sky. Right. And so that may have chilled his interest in but aviation. But don't they have ejection seats? I don't know. He always just talked about flying over the Atlantic and the Caribbean looking for Soviet uh, submarines with sonar and the worry about sharks. You can see the sharks circling around the mm-hmm. sonar device that they dropped in the water. And he said, 
uh, it was not good. He said once there was a, a poor pilot who had gone down, and you know the sharks uh, him. got him. Yeah. So, but anyway, back to happier <laughs> things. He was wow. uh, he I was like a successful story. small town Main Street business uh, leader in Nashville, Arkansas, where I grew up. He had a store in the Queen. And then one in Glenwood. He had three sons. Like a dry goods store? And these were furniture and home furnishing stores. It's ah. like carpet, TVs, appliances, mm-hmm. furniture, dinette suits. Mm-hmm. And most of what I learned about real life, I learned from being a delivery boy for my dad's furniture store when I got to be 14. Yeah. So he, he knew the labor laws, the child labor laws, allowed you to work your kids when they turned 14. That's so right. So I started working uh, on weekends after football season and uh, after school. And that was a, a lot. I learned a lot of things delivering furniture across. I think we do not do a service to our children by letting them not work late in life. I also began working at 14, and it's just a great time to start honing your social skills and learning uh, work ethics. Yeah, and you know, one of the things I've realized now is I've gotten uh, into my seventh uh, decade, I guess if you're in your early 60s, you're in your seventh decade. No, you're in your sixth. Sure. That first sixth. decade was zero to ten. Yeah, I think, it, you think oh. it's technically your seventh. It's definitely. scarier to say seven. Really? Yeah, discouraging. <laughs> Bomb, you're bumming me out over here. But one of the things that I'm sure as a 16-year-old, I thought I was so much smarter than these guys I worked with. I know, right. Uh, who were delivering furniture with me and we would go to the, the great day was when you would come in on a hot summer day and you'd get a assignment to drive to Shreveport and pick up a load of refrigerators or something. So it was basically going to kill the whole day from Nashville. But I realize now that I learned a lot from these guys because uh, uh, although they didn't end up with the kind of education that my father and mother afforded me, they did have a lot of smarts and they were insightful and you know hanging around them on the dock and. Uh, Making deliveries on country roads in southwest Arkansas was a good education. So you got both sides of your brain developed at a young age. Education and common sense. Wisdom, as some people call it. um, I can only say I have common sense because I don't have a lot of education. Everybody that ever listened to my radio show knows that. But Well, I would say I got the opportunity to get wiser and be educated. I'm not sure I always fully uh, availed myself of those uh, people around me who were there to teach me. I tried, but I, it, it wasn't for lack of opportunity or exposure. to. to uh, so how did you pick Harvard School and being a lawyer? There is a story that will sound sort of uh, hackneyed or cliched, but I had a literally a little old lady English teacher and she was not old I'm sure by my standards Mm -hmm. now she would have probably been in her 50s when she was teaching 11th grade English in Nashville Arkansas and she called me up to her desk one day she said where are you going to college are you thinking about that I said no ma'am not really and she said well why don't you think about going somewhere different I said well my parents went to Fayetteville I'll probably go to Fayetteville and she said well why don't you think about going someplace uh, far away just for see what you can do I said well like where Miss Bird why don't you go to Harvard I had no idea where that was. I knew on Saturdays, if you were interested in college football, as I was in high school, you had to watch through all these early East Coast scores from places like Harvard or Holy Cross or Colgate or Cornell. Or, and I didn't know anything about any schools in the East Coast. But Miss Bird was the sort of teacher that uh, when 17-year-old boys uh, got loud, she didn't have to raise her voice. She just looked at them, and mm-hmm. we listened. And when she said, you need to go think about going someplace else, I said, okay, all right, well, show me how to do that. And then all along it was, well, I'll do this to appease Miss Bird, but I don't know if I really want to do that. But I'll just go along with her because I, you know, I wanted to uh, satisfy or please her and make her happy. And then once I was admitted, I realized what a wonderful opportunity that was. So I You got admitted. I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, want to pass on that. But there were times when I was wondering about the wisdom of uh, Miss Bird's advice. But, Why? Uh, it, well, I was uh, from a small town, and I'd been... Uh, a warm small town. Now you're in Massachusetts, I freezing to death. And, and it's a lot busier and crowded, and people are not as... Their folkways are not as friendly. And So for Harvard Law School, do you just go four years for that's an undergrad? three years. You went four years for undergrad and three years. So I had too much of a good thing. Seven years in Cambridge was a lot. <laughs> so then you came back and you own your own practice. Well, I actually first came back and worked for Judge Isley, probably the, as a federal law clerk. Best job I ever had, because when you're a law clerk for a federal judge, lawyers return your calls. Uh, when you're practicing <laughs> law, they don't necessarily do that all the time, but they, they want to know what the federal judge has uh, to say about their case, so they would return my calls. Mm. And then I went into private practice and uh, had a couple of uh, hiatuses when I was dabbling with politics. Uh, and as one friend later said, Nate, you have a mandate from the voters to practice law after I'd lost an election. Oh, so, Nicely said. Yeah, right. <laughs> a mandate from the voters to practice law. So That's a nice way of saying it's too bad you lost. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, practicing uh, trial law is tough. you got to really prepare. And don't you have to get up and make speeches and pace in front of a jury? In trial law, <laughs> pe- jury law, I mean, don't you have to... Don't you have to... Did you ever see My Cousin Vinny? That's, yes. Uh, that's what a lot of trial But... Like three times I've seen that show, like three times. It's great. The hard part about trying lawsuits is that they're never alike, and no matter how long you do it, there are a thousand things you worry about not quite working the way you've prepared for them to work, Mm -hmm. and the stress of that doesn't seem to get any better no matter how many times you've done it. So the learning curve remains pretty steep, or the anxiety and the stress of it. So when I decided uh, after I had turned 50 that I was going to look to do something else that was maybe a little less adversarial mm-hmm. and, and a not as less much work to get pre- preparation. Yeah, you know, most people are going to work whatever job they have at whatever level their personality makes them work. You know, they're going to try to be prepared. I still do that. I probably work as hard now as I did as a trial lawyer, but the stress is different. I don't have to. Uh, be worried about clients being disappointed in outcomes of cases where I've been their lawyer for a year or so. You worry about other things, but you work hard if you're just uh, inclined to. My, I tell, I used to tell my kids, they're now adults, but I'd say, you know, I got half of my dad's work ethic, and I think sometimes y'all got half of mine. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't like that uh, in backward compliment, but uh, my dad had a very... Uh, stringent work ethic and I was fortunate enough to be around that and picked up some of that so whatever job I've had I think I've tried to work it pretty hard but lawyering is rough because some pe- people are always in their especially for trial are always in a bad place they've either been sued or they need to sue someone and uh, I used to tell people it's not a good way to resolve things it's better than more primitive ways of fighting or draw- drawing uh, derringers at 12 paces on mm-hmm. the banks of the river <laughs> But it is a it is a rough tool to try to get something approximating justice, and people most of the time feel like uh, they had to accept something they didn't want in order to get something else they did want, and it's a rough uh, uh, outcome, so people are not always entirely happy. But I think uh, it's so much better than other ways people had, humans have had for compromise. Yeah. There's always a compromise. So you said when you decided to get finished with that stressful job you decided to do, something else when it came to you that i'm not going to keep working this hard what did you decide you were going to do well i had a lot of bad ideas as i've often done you know i've been sort of like winston churchill said about america you can always count on america to do the right thing once they've considered all other options or tried all the other uh, possibilities (laughs) i rummaged through some other possibilities in my mind but finally wound up uh, again maybe serendipitously with somebody or some group of people influencing my advice, giving me advice and influencing it at the library. And it was really, uh, in some ways, uh, ideal for a person who'd always been sort of interested in books and a little bit of a nerd. And it also had some overlapping things with lawyering. The library is really at the core, a very democratic little D institution like the courthouse is in theory. Uh, Everybody should have access to the courthouse. Everybody should have access to materials they want at the library Mm -hmm. or resources. And there are a lot of overlapping things like intellectual freedom. Uh, First Amendment issues are dear to lawyers, and they're also dear to librarians. We want people to be able to read what they want to read, write what they want to write. Oh, we're going to talk about banning books later. Don't go there. If if the library doesn't have some books in it that offend everybody, then it's probably not a very big library. There ought to be things in the library that are bothersome to everybody. But that's what the library is for. So you didn't go from private, private practice for yourself into into the 2016 working for CALS. Central Arkansas Library System, you went to Wright Lindsay Jennings. Talk about high pressure. Well, I was in a big firm at the Wright firm. I have lots of friends. They're great lawyers. And then I decided I was going to do a smaller firm uh, where, you know, you're a little more responsible for buying the paper clips and the legal pads. And you know, Is that like, the Wilson-Ingstrom yes. quorum? Uh, and and you're a partner and there. And I did that for about 20 years. And then I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to go to the law school in Fayetteville for an appointment for two years as a uh, faculty member, practitioner. Did you have to move the up there? Well, no. I had a, a good friend who had a condo I rented uh, from him, and I would go up there on Sundays and work and teach and come back on Thursday nights. I still had a, my youngest That's son was still in school. perfect marriage. <laughs> All right. This is a great place to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Nate Coulter, Executive Director for CALS, Central Arkansas Library System. Still to come, why books are important. And the library does a lot more than you may think. 
We'll be back after the break. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 1995, she embraced the Internet and rebranded her company as simply FlagAndBanner.com. In 2004, she became an early blogger. Since then, she has founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, began publishing her magazine, Brave, and in 2016 branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcast. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired OurCornerMarket.com, an online company specializing in American-made plaques, signage, and memorials for over 20 years, and more recently, opened a satellite office in Miami, Florida, telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags, the flagandbanner.com. Back to you, Carrie. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy. I'm speaking with Nate Coulter. He's the executive director for CALS, Central Arkansas Library System, serving Pulaski and Perry counties with like five big cities. Before the break, if you're just tuning in, we talked about Nate growing up in Nashville, Arkansas, about his father, about his kids, and about going to Harvard Law and freezing his tail off up there in the north for seven years. And then we talked about him being a trial lawyer and the stress of that. And I know from friends that do that, it is, you're always on the egg. Every time you win a case, you're back on zero again. You're starting over. Uh, But now we're going to talk about the library system. But before I do, I want to mention that, didn't I read where you were a founding member of our house? I was. That was one of the great things. If you're a lawyer, a young lawyer, you've got time on your hands. All sorts of boards and community organizations are looking for volunteers in the form of a lawyer who will help. So, yes, I was on the group that filed the Articles of Incorporation for our house back in the mid-'80s, uh, probably 86 or 87. So uh, tell people what it is, what our house our is. Our house is a shelter that attempts to find people who need a place uh, for shelter, need a place to live, and gives them an incentive to try to find work, to get jobs, to move into their own housing over some period of time. It's grown enormously. They've really expanded. Uh, When we first started in 1985, I think it was in the old parish hall of St. Andrew's Catholic Church downtown on Louisiana Street. That's now, that building's no longer there. It moved for a short period of time, I think, into a building on Main Street, and then it landed out there where it is now. On Roosevelt. On Roosevelt, next to the OBA hospital. The shelter is a little east of the hospital. Our house is a nonprofit, mm-hmm. but there, our house has a significant uh, footprint down there, and they do take folks and families. That was the other emphasis that our house was founded on, was we would take people off the street who had children and try to house them in ways that were stable for those kids. And the incentive was always to give them some stability and skills, give them a little bit of uh, resting space to try to rehabilitate their employment possibilities, give them some hope, some process. And eventually, and I think there are lots and lots, hundreds and hundreds of success stories down there where people have achieved that. We have a program at the library that's related in some ways. We have a program for entrepreneurs, particularly entrepreneurs who are under-resourced. And we had a... uh, They had a person in this program last year who had come out of our house and had his own housing. He had a lawn care program, and he was learning in the entrepreneurial classes at the library how to grow his business. And he uh, won some sort of – they had a a contest for a business idea, and he won, and he was – worked down there all the time. He was just – back to my point about your sort of – blessed at birth with your appetite for work and some of us uh, get a little more of that than others but like my dad uh, but this you know, this man was very uh, ambitious a- ambitious and was working his way out of being uh, unsheltered and homeless into a place where he could have his own business and what we also do is try to find folks who they've got a job at the, mm-hmm. talking about the library program mm-hmm. now it's mm-hmm. called rocket lab rocket what rocket lab rocket lab they've got a job but they've got you know they're a single parent they've got two kids they have a great idea. If they could just get a little mentorship, they get a little help, they get a little mm-hmm. guidance, mm-hmm. the kinds of things that lawyers who go to a new board for our house can give that board, they need that sort of help. So we have volunteers who come in and say, oh, you know, you need to perhaps buy this software program, come to the library and use it here to keep up with your books. Mm-hmm. And what they're looking for is just some encouragement because, as you know, 
starting a business can be very discouraging and it's not a straight line to success. It mostly most, most comes cases. from friends and family that yeah. help you. Yes. So if you don't have family. I noticed where you had to get, you you uh, had gotten uh, money from the, my the mother. Free to, mm-hmm. Yeah, you were living rent free as long as you painted the place, right? To, yeah, in my first place when I moved out of my house, yeah. Mom said you can you can have this place for your business as long as you paint the place and take care of it. Well, like your mom, if the library can give folks a chance to add six, eight, ten thousand dollars $10,000 a year to their household income for a parent, a you know, single parent with two kids, that's just an enormous uplift. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to help folks in that realm. And I know that about your background because one of the great things the library does, which is a traditional function in a modern iteration, is the online encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia of Arkansas. And there is an entry this morning. I checked it out uh, for Carrie McCoy. <laughs> and so we have over 6,000 entries. And it's about people in Arkansas, places in Arkansas. If you can think of something interesting and a little bit odd, perhaps, that you've only heard about uh, the ghost on the railroad track in Clark County near Gurdon, there's an entry for that. Oh, I'd like to read that. There are all sorts of entries in the encyclopedia. It's online. So here's the thing. Libraries have always been places where you could look up things and get things you know now Uh since we've all got one of these we think we don't need the library for that that's not quite true there's another side of that story but here's a great resource and he's pointing to his phone y'all it's curated that's right i forget we're not we're not on tv well we kind of are you could watch it on youtube but if you're listening on podcast if you're listening and you want to know something about someone in arkansas's history political civil war modern history like Carrie McCoy, mm-hmm. you can go to the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, the library's resource. It's a reference tool, but it's entirely digital. And what we learned during the pandemic was a lot of kids, as we know, were forced to learn remotely. And we can look at these uh, analytics that showed once kids were out of school in March of 20, and we worked with teachers in schools to tell them about the EOA, the numbers went way up. And the heartening thing What's is... What's EOA stand for? Encyclopedia of Arkansas. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay. Uh, the numbers have stayed up. So what it tells us is that there was an absence of awareness of that resource. Mm-hmm. Once they were forced to do things online and the library was helping to lead them there, they continue to do it. So it's teachers love it, parents love it, students obviously love I it. I love it. I had no idea it came from Central Arkansas Library. I think it's true, still true, that it's the largest online, lib- online reference tool f- run by a public library. Most of the states who have these kinds of online encyclopedias are run by state universities. Wait. If you were to rate your library on scale of 1 to 10 compared to that of all the other libraries in the country, where would you put our library? 7? I would say we're probably an 8. You know, In some things we might be a 10, some things we might be mm. a 6. And I think the thing that and it's, not, it's in spite of the, the personality who run, heads the library now in lots of ways, but here's the thing. People come to me, and this is sort of damning with faint praise, and I, as a native, it, it bothers me a little bit, but the, the essence of it is good. They'll say, I moved here from Iowa, or I moved here from Washington State, or I moved here from Illinois. And you know, I didn't really expect the public library in Little Rock to be as good as it is. It's as good as the library I left behind. So they're telling me in an objective, out, external way that my eight is probably about right. We want to be a nine or a ten. There's, sure. no, there's no resting. The other thing that, that out, the external affirmation, last year in 20. Uh, 21, we were the Klein Community Impact Library of the Year. That was a national competition. We did get a quarter of a million dollar prize that we're spending on did the you, playground Did equipment. you spearhead that? Did you have to write the application? Staff did. Uh, I was involved, but uh, we, I have great staff. Most of the successes that the library has of that sort are done by the staff. And as you said, I may be the face of the library, but the hard work gets done every day with the people who are in the It's always lives. that way, but they're going to have a good leader. It Before is. we talk about the library and how awesome it is and all the things it offers, which I think people are going to be surprised to find out that it's more than just books. Uh, in 2012, you were appointed to the faculty of the, of the University of Arkansas School of Law. And what I found really interesting in that, you said in the last uh, segment that you, you, had to, you spent four, four days up there um, – up in Fayetteville a week. But you established a walk-in cleaner clinic for homeowners facing foreclosure. This seemed like a little bit of a segue into what you're doing now, helping the public. Talk about how that came to be. Yeah, that was probably a, an omen or a portent of uh, where I was going to wind up. The dean of the law school in Fayetteville asked me if I would take this appointment, and the condition taking the two-year appointment was that I needed to create a couple of things. They had gotten a settlement. The state of Arkansas was one of many states, I think there were 49, that got some funds out of the 
uh, lawsuits that were filed nationally against the mortgage handling companies who essentially, as we recall in the Great Recession, uh-huh. they were handing out loans to people who didn't have income to sustain those, and they were mm-hmm. essentially uh, giving them these teaser rates and then uh, raising the interest. So there were a lot of, lit- a lot of litigation, you know, monies paid by large uh, mortgage handlers, and that money gets divided on the state. So the deans of the two law schools here got some of that from the attorney general. The dean in favor says, let's set up a clinic and let's have some classes on uh, mortgage finance for students. So what we did, I shopped around. I didn't, I didn't know where to put it. We had students that we were teaching how to help counsel uh, pro bono with mm-hmm. my law license on, uh, on top of it to supervise them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so where can we put this? And we looked at the electric co-op building and some other places, and people were saying, go to the library because everybody trusts the library. It's not got an agenda. If you get help with the library, they know it's just because that's what you – have it available. It's nobody wants to sell you anything. It's not. Yeah. Uh, it's non threatening. It doesn't have an agenda. So we wound up in the library, the Fayetteville Library. It's a wonderful library. Uh, and we were there once a week with students giving advice to people who would come in. You could schedule it or you just walk in. And so that was an indication to me that uh, turned out to be true when I got this job. The library is still this place where, for different reasons, different people in the community go there and they all find something about it that is helpful and they trust it. And one of the great side effects of all that is if people are coming to some place, like a park, a public park, a public library, for whatever reason, to walk your dog or to sit on a blanket or throw your Frisbee, and you're around other people uh, who have a different background, that's a great thing. It's mm. called social infrastructure. The library is a great part of that. The library draws people from all sections, all sectors of the community, uh, and it's a heartening thing to see people appreciate the library. You know, we live in a very polarized society. That's no oh. secret. But one of the things that I think is heartening is that so many people trust and respect their public library. Uh, When we had a couple of ballot referenda, we got uh, large majorities to support the library because everybody... You know, when I started Arkansas Flag and Banner, there wasn't the Internet because it was 1974 or 5. And so I had to go to the library to research... I can't remember the name of this big tome that I had to take off. <laughs> this book was gigantic, and I had to take it down and put it in, and put it on the table and flip to it's like a yellow pages and flip to where you could buy flags manufacturers and found a flag manufacturer. There's found a list of them that I could call, and um, yeah, it was very. You're right. I mean, it does so much. But a funny thing about libraries. So my my granddaughter found out that the internet was only you know 15 20 years old 20 years old i guess now she thought it came down with moses she just didn't know she's 16 she didn't know it's always been there since she's around and my and when she found that out she asked my daughter she said well what how did y'all find anything out (laughs) and my daughter said we went to the library and she was aghast (laughs) or we just didn't it's like, oh, oh we well, just yeah. didn't. Yeah, right. Well, the other thing. How far away is the moon from the Earth? It's like, well, I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and you got encyclopedias. Yeah, we had the world book. And paid it off. Yes, well, we're a six-month yeah. or one-year pay All right, we're going to take a really quick break. And then we are going to come back, and we really are going to talk about more about the library and the things that you can uh, use at the library. It's kind of amazing. Uh, we'll continue our conversation with Mr. Nate Coulter. He's the Executive Director of the Central Arkansas Library System in downtown Little Rock. We'll be right back. Let flagandbanner.com propose an idea that maybe you haven't thought of. Plant patriotism in your garden this year. A new flagpole will make you just as happy as a bumper crop of your own veggies. And everyone can see this addition to your garden. It's a perfect time to do this now because you can use the code FP15 and get 15% off your order right now at flagandbanner.com. Think about it. Planting patriotism in your garden. flagandbanner.com. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Nate Coulter of Central Arkansas Library System, CALS. Um... The library has as their mission to provide resources and services to help residents reach their full potential and to inspire discovery, learning, and cultural expression. So how does the library get funded? Millage rate? Grants? Yes, both, but primarily from local property taxes. About 92% of our money, we have a budget now of between 23 and $24 million for operations. 325 employees, 15 buildings that you described in communities all over the county. The bulk of that money is coming from local property taxes. 
What I've said, and many, many people before me, is the library really is your best illustration of local control. If we do what we say we aspire to do and we provide resources that help people reach their potential, then people will make that investment. If we don't, or if we tell you we're going to build something or provide something and we either do it in a poor way or we don't do it, then people will rightly say, well, wait a minute, we made this bargain to give you our tax dollars and you didn't deliver. Long before I got there, my predecessor had expanded the library to lots and lots of neighborhoods, and he had always, Bobby Roberts, had always delivered on what they offered to to provide. The money comes from the county property taxpayers. We get a little bit of money from the state, about 2% of our budget, and we are now getting more and more money from philanthropy, from grants, and that's a great thing. Uh, people are generous, and they invest in things like the Rocket Lab that I mentioned earlier. Do you do fundraisers? We don't have a lot of fundraisers. I've never we seen a, the library do a fundraiser. We to speak don't. Of. We we will send out a year-end uh, request for people to donate, and people are generous about that. What we do, though, in I think a more uh, efficient way than we have been until recently. We look for opportunities for people to couple their interests with something the library can do. Let me give you an example. We started from scratch a math tutoring program uh, during the pandemic. Uh, We got a generous grant from the Walton Family Foundation and essentially had 40 or 50 tutors, volunteers, who were doing it by Zoom virtually with students from grades 6 through 12 in schools all across the county, charter schools, public schools, private schools, and you just had to sign up. And the response we got from both tutors and the parents of these children who were lagging in math was phenomenally encouraging. People respond when you ask them, look, would you support something like that? The Walton Foundation funded that for a couple of years, and then we found other funders. Once you start something and it works and you've got metrics and uh, evidence to show that it's successful, people will help you do it. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, the public-private partnership that we're proud of. The public is all in with the tax money that they uh, give us, but we look for ways to leverage that with private donations, and we are in a community where people believe in a lot of things we do. You have a $20 million budget. It's $23 million now. That's a lot of money to manage. It Describe is. your day. Well, one, one of the great fortunes I have, the blessings that I should be particularly mindful of this time of year, is that I have an a extremely talented chief financial officer, a CPA named Joe Spencer. Uh, we have run uh, the budget frugally, efficiently, like my dad would have been proud of in his mm-hmm. small town. My dad used to say, son, there's no difference in another dollar earned or a dollar you save. They're going to both add one dollar to your bottom line. So we do take seriously our obligation to be good stewards with the public's money. We treat it as though it's ours. And we have a comprehensive budget that we prepare about this time every year. The board reviews that, get a long memo explaining different things, and we just stay on that budget throughout the year. It's hard to stay on budget. It is. We have about 68 cents out of every dollar for staff, and so that's obviously with every organization. You have 300 employees Yeah, that's what drives, you know, so we we try to be, uh, we want to pay a living wage. We want to take care of people uh, because people don't go to work for the library to make money. They go because they're interested in service and they're interested in education and literacy. So let's speak about why you go to the library. You can rent toys, telescopes, tools, hotspots. What else can you rent? Well, it is about books. It always is. But it's these other things. Seeds. We have a seed library down at McMath. We have a tool library down at D. How do you Brown. return seeds? You put them in the ground? Well, it's, I it's, mean, how do you return it, them? It's a grow something. If you feel inspired, bring us back some seeds from your pumpkin patch or from your uh, tomatoes. Aww. So it's a revolving door of seeds, and we catalog them. There's a nice, the old school book catalog, book card catalog is down at McMath, and you can go in there, and the seeds are in alphabeti- alphabetized Do you order. alphabetize your spices at home? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It's now about a lot of things, not just the books. Telescopes, uh, you can check out a telescope. You can... Uh, get toys, you can get tools, you can get seeds, as you mentioned. Did you think when Amazon started selling books online, did you think, oh, here we go? Some people are impatient. If a new book comes out, they just go buy it. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of friends who can afford to buy libraries worth of books. I say, look, you ought to go to the library because you can listen to audiobooks instead of doing Audible for $15 a month for free. You can get Mm-hmm. Current release audiobooks, if that's your thing. Can you do it from your home with the library if you buy a library membership? 
You can download. You, you can yes, you can download. Uh, if you live in the service area, you have a membership. You just download the books on your tablet, or you you download them to your device if you want to listen to them. Or you, why didn't everybody do that? Why do we even use Amazon uh, Audible? You can do that. Oh, because I've got friends like this. Sometimes you know it's just a little more until they have cleared the learning curve about how to use the book. But here's the th- here's the okay. great thing: the library is about all these things you described. It's a library of things, books. But it's also a library of helping people. And we've got, again, thanks to a grant from Wingate, we have now what we people we call digital guides. I call them digital navigators. These are two fantastically talented young people who, if you have trouble with anything on your device or you want to know how to do Excel or you're having trouble, a lot of people my age uh, are not uh, as tech savvy. And they'll come to the library and they'll get help. And they send me these wonderful thank yous by email. Or they'll leave messages saying, Jacob or Camille are just fantastic. They, no thing was too small. They talked to me respectfully and they helped me. I've now got this. So part of the problem is just the learning curve for people who are my age. And they don't want to fiddle with it. They know how to order things from Amazon or Audible. But if you will bear with it and get some help, it's going to save you money in the long haul. And the good thing is, if there's a book that you think your library should have and we don't have it, we're generally pretty responsive. Tell us about it. We'll try to get it. Because as I said earlier, you know, we want to have books for everybody. That means uh, if your interest is aviation or gardening or uh, porcelain dolls or whatever it is, if there's something you want to read about, we'll try to help you find what you want. Can you rent costumes? We don't have a costume but we do have a prom dress uh, giveaway or circulation you can get prom dresses that people you know people wear those yeah, once and, and so we've got a, a librarian over at mcmath who several years ago decided she was going to get people to donate their old prom dresses how do people find out all the stuff you do go to cows.org and just surf around if you need help to figure out how to do that call the library and we'll get one we'll get jacob or camille or somebody to help you you mean you can call the library and get somebody on the phone that's a new concept yeah. yes you also can go online and send us ask cows you can go send us an email and do you still have a you. homeless problem of people coming in you have a background in homelessness because you helped fund our house but in the old days i know that a lot of people that were homeless used to go to the library and kind of sit in air conditioning and read Yes, and, you know, the, the society has a homeless problem. The community yes. has a homeless mm-hmm. problem. And, obviously, the library doesn't pick and choose. We don't ask to see your 1040 or your W-2 mm-hmm. when you come to the library. If you come to the library, you come to the library. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of rules. One rule is you have to behave. You can't disturb other people. And the second rule is if you can't follow rule one, then you have to leave. But people who, as you say, need to be out of the elements are in mm-hmm. the library oftentimes mm-hmm. when the doors open. One of the things that uh, – uh, and I think we have a good reputation of treating those people like we treat everybody, which is part, again, the library's institution of respecting people no matter who you are. But one of the things that we face uh, coming up is that thanks to the generosity of the taxpayers, they have reauthorized some bonds, lowered the tax in doing it, but they're going to get an upgrade to the downtown library. It's been 25 or so years. The and downtown library is 25 years old? That, yes, it hadn't had a lot of uh, investment really? since then. So we need to upgrade it. We're going to make it nicer. But in the order to do that, the builders, the architects will say, you really need to close. So we're going to close it for probably oh. about a year. One of the things we're trying to plan for is where will the people go you described who seek shelter from the heat or the cold in the library? We don't want to leave them literally out in the cold, so we're mm-hmm. going to try to find some place near there that's accessible by transportation or that they can walk. So we're working on that. We obviously are not just going to close the building and tell people – See you on the other side. We're going to provide ways for people to still get their books and all the resources that they get that are tangible, all the yeah. things that they get from the library. And, of course, they'll still be able to do all of the digital things online. Six Bridges Book Festival. What's that? It's an annual program where we bring authors and presenters, local and national, uh, to the community to celebrate books and reading. And people show up and uh, get to ask authors questions. And some of them are virtual. But it's a great thing to remind people that uh, you, if, even if you can't go someplace, uh, li- literally, you can go someplace by a book. And there are all sorts of books that are about How all many sorts libraries of are in Little Rock? There are eight libraries in Little Rock. That you maintain. Mm-hmm. What, what's the, is the Hillary Clinton Library? That's a children's library over on 10th and Jefferson. That is a beautiful it's a library. Wonderful library. Yeah, it's a children's library. There's a, there is also, back to your point about other things, we have a, a greenhouse over there that kids can see plants growing. We have a Inside the library, there is a live, active beehive. The bees, in, we've engineered a way for the bees to get inside 
a little pipe that they're smart enough to figure out and they come in. We learned after we did it the first year or two that you have to actually put a cloth over that most of the time. Kids can pull it up and take a peek at the 20,000 bees and the queen in this hive. But the bees didn't like it if it weren't dark in there most of the time. But it's fascinating for kids to see the bees. There are all sorts of things. It's we like have a, a discovery museum. We have a kitchen there. Really we do cool. things that we, we teach. Uh, uh, sometimes we have cooking matters classes where we teach parents how to shop for healthier And then there's diet. a Sid McMath uh, library. Yes, that's on McMath. That's a very uh, traditional. robust library. Traditional, traditional library. It library. Big, big it's down on Barrow Road. So speaking of your library square in downtown Little Rock, there's the main library that we keep talking about right. that you're going to close for a little while. And then there's the Ron Robinson Theater. I didn't know that was part of the library system. Oh, yes. Did you, Gray? Hmm. 315-seat state-of-the-art uh, facility for Bobby Roberts music. Library of Arkansas History and Art. That's uh, the archive, the special collections, the things that people donate to the library to preserve are in there. We have some art in there. It's uh, just next door to the theater and just across Rock Street from the main library. Gallery and bookstore at the library square? In the corner of Clinton, President Clinton Avenue. So and, you can buy books. That's like gifts. We have used books are in there and art, uh, things that are made by Arkansans in there. And then the lab resource, Rocket for Rocket local lab. inspiring. Right. And that's all on your website there's that you a, can find There's a co-working out. space there for people, young entrepreneurs. And there's a, we teach an academy class there with local instructors. I love it. Uh, None of that, by the way, will what? close. The only thing that will be closed will be the big old main library that has those names that you like to run the top mm-hmm, of it. Mm-hmm. And the architects are working now. We may have some surprises for, for oh, that. So we'll see. All right. This is a great place to take a break. We'll come back. This is our last break. We'll come right back to finish our conversation with Mr. Nate Coulter, Executive Director of Cal Central Arkansas Library System. I'm going to ask him about banning the books. It will be his last question <gasps> in the next break. We'll be right back. There's lots of volunteer opportunities at Central Arkansas Library System. Last month was Volunteer Month, and we got a chance to speak with Tamika Lee from the Marketing Department at CALS. One of the things that I look forward to a couple of times a year, the used book sale. Could you use help when those take place? Absolutely. (laughs) Our volunteer coordinator actually is the person who works on the used book sales, and so she would be elated (laughs) 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 for us getting volunteers because it's actually one of our bigger ones. It's a really busy time because people really enjoy coming in here and browsing the one and two dollar books. And there are jobs that people may not think about because those books are heavy. So we ask for volunteers to help us transport the books. So helping them people get them up and down the stairs and the elevators into our loading area. Once again, restocking and shelving and sorting all of the books as they come in just being a cashier. <laughs> so there's definitely several ways that people can help out with the used book sales. That's Tamika Lee from the Central Arkansas Library System. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with Nate Coulter from Cal Central Arkansas Library System in downtown Little Rock. Um, let's talk about banning books. What's your opinion about all the book hullabaloo that's going on all the time? Look, he gets so if, serious. If you go back in time, there have been periods in the history of libraries and humans where, uh, for a variety of reasons, people had urges like this to take things away. Let's not read things that trouble some of us. Let's not think about things that trouble some of us. Has the, ba- has the Bible ever ju- been banned? Yes. Uh, and there are lots of things that you would consider to be important in the Bible that could be banned by some of the standards of, of book banners. What, what's ultimately prevailed, and I think will again, is the notion that I don't, the library director doesn't decide, the school board doesn't decide, the librarians don't decide, and people in the community don't decide what other people or other people's children should read. A public library is by its very definition an accumulation with public resources of the written words, the, the expressions of a variety of people on a variety of topics from a variety of perspectives. And we don't look at the content and decide, well, we like this person's view and not that person, so we'll just buy this person's books. Mm-hmm. We buy books. If there's, as I just said a few minutes ago, if there's something you're interested in and you want to read about, let us know. And so it's not healthy in the community, we think, that we'll for an organization that tries to serve everybody in the community. Can to, anybody to ban books? Is, does the legislature ban a book? There are federal cases interpreting the First Amendment that have some 
application here that you are entitled to read things, you're entitled to express things as an author. The issue of whether the public funding entitles the public to limit what people read is the question, I guess. And I think in in community after community, most people don't think that we can anoint somebody to decide what the rest of us read. That's just not a democratic little d way we operate. We let people read what they want to read. Mm-hmm. It's a freedom issue. It's the freedom to read what you want to read. And we absolutely encourage people to be aware of what their kids are reading. If you don't want your kids reading certain books, then you have every right to do that, and the library will partner with you in trying to help you. We have information we can provide you about the online access for your kids, and we will help you, guide you, tell you how to be involved in that and make decisions that you want to make for your child. Mm-hmm. We just don't want you to make it for Everybody. my child or somebody yeah, else's right. child. We want to bring you up to date on this current situation of book banning. The Central Arkansas Library System's Board of Directors at a meeting last week voted to move ahead with legal analysis of a new state law related to library materials in anticipation of a potential lawsuit challenging its constitutionality. Act 372 establishes a new Class A misdemeanor offense of knowingly furnishing a harmful item to a minor, and it sets parameters for citizens to challenge materials held in school libraries or public libraries. Under that new law, successful challenges could result in materials being relocated to an area of the collection not accessible to minors. The governor signed the legislation on March 30th. The law expected to take effect around the 1st of August. Attorney John Adams is helping the Central Arkansas Library System uh, respond to this law. And KARK-TV's reporter Samantha Boyd brought us the latest. Executive Director of the Central Arkansas Library System, Nate Coulter, says there are two components so far that his board and library attorneys believe are unconstitutional. One is the harmful to minors criminalization provision. Coulter pointed to a federal case in 2004 where a similar statute was found unconstitutional. Even though they switched words a little bit here and there, the effect of it is the same. The idea that vilifying librarians and subjecting them to criminal penalty for something that has already been determined in one instance to be a standard that is flawed is hard to understand, frankly. The second component is the statute that allows a city board or county quorum to decide if a book stays in the library or needs to be moved. The statute is flawed on its face. I reached out to the sponsor of that bill that is now law for comment. He said in part, quote, the only confusion as to the constitutionality of Act 372 seems to be in Nate Coulter's head. This law is set to go into effect August 1st, but Coulter says he expects a lawsuit to be filed before that point. Up in your business with Carrie McCoy, thanks KARK-TV and Samantha Boyd for that report. Now back to Carrie's interview with Nate Coulter. So to wrap it up, what's the best thing you think the library does? The best thing the library does is help people find what they want to find to get wherever they think they need to get, whether it be a class, whether it be help on digital technology, whether it's Do they have classes? We have classes down at the library. On what? So learning to sew? I need you to teach people to sew. I think you can do that in in Jacksonville at our branch over there. We uh, We do have sewing machines. It's the Nixon Library, named after a woman who worked there years and years ago how on people, Main Street in Jackson. So how do people connect with the library? They can call you, go online? Yes, they can call 918-3000, or they can go to cals.org. And they can uh, find us. Uh, we've got Twitter. We've got all the social media that uh, younger people follow. What's the benefit of becoming a member? Well, if you have a card, you can use the access online to things. If you have... Uh, now, the card, you can use the barcode number to get online and get stuff that we just said. And you can get e-books. a membership card online? Well, you get a, you can get a card for free if you live in the taxing area. Oh. And if you don't live in the taxing area, you can get a card if you pay 54 or $5 a year. And we do that because the people who pay all the freight uh, charges that I've been describing for yeah. all these wonderful things, it's only fair to them if the people who aren't paying those taxes mm-hmm. pay some amount. And we, we tried to figure out what we thought was fair. Mm-hmm. And so you can, and a lot of people in Garland County are... So you get a membership right. card, you got a barcode. You get a library you get, you card, get, it'll you tell you... you got a key to the castle. Yep, you got a key to all this stuff that is your library. You're paying for this, and we encourage you to use it. And as you say, people every day say, wait a minute, I didn't know the library did that. I can get that from the library. If you've got kids who are trying to study for SAT or ACT, there are things on the <gasps> library's website to do that. Mm-hmm. One of the great things we did with Mike Poor when he was here, and this was his idea, we just helped... 
he decided, he'd done this in Bentonville, he decided, let's give every kid in every school in the Little Rock School District access to the library's digital portal. So we said, sure, how can we do that? Don't worry about whether you need a library card because you have an address. Don't worry about it. Just go to the schools, and if the school wanted to do it, we'd give every student a separate digital card. It wouldn't let them come to the library and check out books, but it would let them get online to our website and use all these databases that the library subscribes to. Databases about uh, how to take tests. Databases about all kinds of things that might foreign language help. And students loved it. Teachers loved it. To, parents loved it. So it was so successful. We piloted it at four or five schools. It be, then became district-wide. We made it available to all the schools, Little Rock Catholic schools, PA, Episcopal, all the schools, charter, public, private, and most of them said, that's a great deal for our kids. We'll do that. And the students love it. So that's one thing you get. If you're a library card holder, you get that. You get that. If you're a student in one of the schools in the county, you get what we call the tech card. So they don't necessarily have to be a library card holder, but they get access to all the things that we subscribe to. One of the great things that's great. That you, we have, it's sort of like what you're talking about calling the library. We subscribe to something that essentially allows you to ask questions and get uh, homework help from a panel of people. I think this service is out of Philadelphia or somewhere. Uh, so if you have a science problem or a trig problem and you want help, the library can help you find somebody who will try to understand the problem, try to tutor you, if you will. Uh, and it's just amazing the kinds of things. And a lot of those things are not cheap, as you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we think if you if you amortize the cost of it across the entire 344,000 people you mentioned earlier and people are using it, then people's lives are enriched. We're helping them reach their potential of being better students, of learning more, of getting a better job. And that's what we're about. That is a great place to end the show. So I have you a gift. It's a desk set. Oh, boy. All know, right. Of the U.S. and Arkansas flag. Wonderful. I don't know if you have one down there at the library or not. One of the things when I got there was to explore how we could get a flagpole at the library. Bobby Roberts was in the Navy, and he wanted to do one of these these nautical flags where you have three flags. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. nautical flagpole. Mm-hmm. It turned out to stick that thing on the roof and make it stable and win was going to cost a lot of money. But now that we're doing oh, yeah. this remodel, we'll look for a place where we can do it at less expense. Because I told you we're good stewards. We don't like to spend your money. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. Thank you so much. You're I'll put welcome. this on my desk. Oh, good. Thank you. In closing, I want to say to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your life, your independence, or your business. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, email me, gray, at gray at flagandbanner.com. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.